Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. And this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the visual effects supervisor for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Christopher Townsend, additional visual effects supervisor Joe Farrell, Weta digital effects supervisor Sean Walker, and special effects supervisor Dan Oliver. I gave you 10 years to live your life. Now you see me rise. And where did that get you? You walked in my shadow. So the most dangerous people in the world couldn't kill you. Son, it's time for you to take your place by my side. for joining me to talk about your work on Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Since we've got four of you here, uh, it'd be awesome if we could start with each of you introducing yourself, uh, telling your role on the film, and what you were specifically responsible for. Chris, why don't we start with you? Sure. My name is Christopher Townsend. I'm the overall visual effects supervisor for the film, and I was responsible ultimately for the look of all visual effects in the film and making them look as beautiful as possible. My name is Sean Walker, and I am Weta's uh, visual effects uh, visual effects supervisor. Um, I am responsible for the uh, third act battle, the visual effects for the third act battle, uh, uh, working under Chris. Uh, I'm uh, Joe Farrell, the additional visual effects supervisor. I was tasked with working with the second unit for the film, and then working uh, with uh, Chris's guidance on a couple of sequences during post production. Uh, my name is Dan Oliver. I'm the special effects supervisor and I'm looking after all mechanical effects or in-camera effects and uh, also working with Chris and the team. Wonderful. Well, thanks again for chatting with me. Christopher, since this was Destin's first time directing a big-budget, VizFX-driven film, how did you help him get acclimated to this sort of filmmaking and and what was it like working with him? 
oh, it was an incredible experience. Yeah, he came in so incredibly enthusiastic about making a film like this with this amount of visual effects. He's never done anything like this before. And uh, he, so for the, the one of our first meetings, we sat down and I spent several hours going through stuff that we had done previously and talking about the role of visual effects and my role and, and how we can help him uh, to sort of solve certain problems. We also talked about the... Uh, the the downfalls of visual effects and how you know we can be a very slow uh, department at times but at the same time we're very solution orientated and uh, he was incredible the way he he sort of embraced uh, that new toolbox uh, or that new tool in the toolbox rather for filmmaking so it was it was an amazing experience he was incredibly enthusiastic and an amazingly quick learner that's amazing. And, and Dan, with the onset in camera effects, what do you think the biggest learning curve for Destin was in your experience in working with him? Uh, well, a little bit the same as, uh, as Chris has just mentioned. Destin hadn't done a big practical effects movie before. So um, I suppose using gimbals and, you know, large mechanical rigs, um, he was guided a little bit by, you know, some of the people had done that stuff before to what he could achieve. And then, but as Chris said, he's a quick learner too. He very quickly realized, you know, what tools uh, were going to help him out and, you know, where to spend his time. So um, yeah, it was good to work with. And I, I suppose, yeah, the bigger, the bigger gimbals, if you've never been on one or shot on one, you don't quite know what, you know, how it's going to play out, but uh, it all went very well. And yeah, he was a fast learner and, and he enjoyed it. Well, I, I want to dive into some of the specific sequences, of course, but I figured before we do that, I'd love to hear from each of you, if you had to pick one, what was the single biggest challenge for you on this show? Um, let's, let's start with Joe. Oh, single biggest challenge. Um, certainly, you know, when you start on the second unit, it's a whole crew that needs to sort of gel and figure out how we're working. And of course, that particular unit was tasked with doing a lot of the, um, the stunt work and a lot of the wiring work so certainly a big challenge was sort of working with that team and figuring out as Chris mentioned how to integrate our visual effects uh, perfectly with that and the two particular sequences that we were working on that were certainly very difficult at the time was the uh, Macau escape with a, a big three-story glass um, mirrored uh, set that actually would rotate as much as 30 degrees um, that we had to do several very complicated camera moves on. That was certainly a, a big challenge for me. Yeah, I definitely want to ask more about that for sure. Uh, Sean, biggest challenge on this project? Yeah, uh, our biggest challenge is probably the water work. Uh, you know, traditionally, uh, water is a, a pretty tricky visual effect to achieve. And uh, this one, we had a, a lot of it. And, uh, you know, for the most part, it had to act a little bit more like a character rather than um, just your normal water interaction. So, yeah, that was our, easily our biggest challenge for the show. Uh, Dan? Uh, probably the biggest sequence for us was the fight on the bus um, because we had two different gimbals working and swapping and changing between the two, depending on what the shots were. Um, it wasn't a challenge because we had very experienced stunt people and you know visual effects people working with us so it wasn't challenging like it couldn't be done or people didn't know what they were doing it was more just going through the process and working it out sensibly so um i, I suppose you could call that a bit of a challenge but yeah that was probably our biggest okay and and christopher uh, it's really tricky to pick. There's so many, to be honest. But um, I think <clears throat> one of the big things in this film that we were really trying to do was to emulate uh, Hong Kong and Chinese cinema in terms of the martial arts films. 
And uh, one of the big things about that is that they do very long takes and you can see the actor throughout. So a lot of our challenge was being able to try and portray that as, as um, realistically as possible. Uh, our actors were phenomenal and many of them did an awful lot of their own stunts, but there's an awful lot of face replacements in there. And I think uh, the, obviously the intent was to make that as seamless as possible so that an audience is never taken out of it. So I think that was probably one of our biggest challenges was doing the, was making sure it looked like our actors were performing these incredibly complex martial arts choreography uh, and these stunts as much as possible. Uh, well, I want to go back to the escape sequence in Macau. Incredible, incredible sequence. So Joe, I'd just love to hear more about, tell me more about the rig, uh, how you shot it and how the actors were present on set and how that balanced in when you were enhancing it with VisFX. Sure. Um, I mean, uh, Chris initially sort of laid out a plan for uh, with with Dan regarding the set itself. So one of the interesting aspects of it is it's a it's a giant sort of um, thirty stories off the ground. So uh, it's placed in an exact place in Macau where we actually did um, a lot of research and and exactly replicated the buildings that were happening there on the ground. And obviously, with the pandemic happening, we couldn't physically visit Macau. It was actually completely shut down. So that certainly added a challenge to the process amongst the regular visual effects kind of challenges. Um, the mirror, building itself is quite mirrored. Um, it's actually almost a, about an 80% sort of reflective surface that sort of then reflects um, the city itself. So we used the city more as a graphic design kind of aspect, which was to actually silhouette the performances. So a lot of it was sort of a, an inverse of what you would normally look at. Um, so fairly dark silhouettes that were then complemented with um, beautiful billboards that would um, outline our characters. So it was a really interesting exercise from that. The stunts, of course, are pretty extensive. Um, and the team, the stunt team, worked uh, pretty extensively trying to figure out the choreography of how all the, the performances would move around. And then we integrated our actors as much as we possibly could. So, um, and I think it was a fairly significant amount because Simu and even uh, Aquafina could um, easily get into the into the set and perform a lot of the stunts. And as Chris mentioned before, uh, we did you know some fairly extensive face replacement there to um, to be able to you know uh, complement and make sure it was convincing. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present, if you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. I 
I, I also want to touch on the bus sequence. That is one of my favorite sequences in, in any Marvel movie. It's so much fun, so incredible. So I'd love to talk both both Chris and Dan, the, the balance of the physical effects versus the computer enhanced effects. How much was shot, cars crashing, those sorts of things? What what did you shoot for that sequence? Um, we, we, we shot in two locations. We shot, we shot in Sydney uh, on, on set. Uh, on a blue screen stage uh, and we shot on a couple of different gimbal systems that Dan can talk about and then we also shot in San Francisco we had a second as another unit shooting in San Francisco uh, and where they were doing physical crashes of a bus careening around some of the time we would only have half a bus just for sort of safety and for maneuverability and then we would we would in visual effects we would be adding on a the back half of a CG of a CG bus. Um, other times we would often have to replace who was inside the bus because we'd have stunt people or we have you know um, <clears throat> frameworks you know roll cages and on all that kind of security safety stuff going on inside the bus. So we had to replace all the insides of buses whenever we see it from the outside. Um, and then a, a lot of it was enhanced with with either CG portions of the city that we recreated and we rebuilt. Uh, or um, st anything that we were shooting on a, on the blue screen stage, we would be shooting that with, uh, we would complement that with footage that we had actually shot in San Francisco of um, uh, what we call array footage with multiple cameras as we drove down a street and then stitched those plates together to create those backgrounds. Um, all of it, uh, the, one of the complex things about the bus fight particularly was the incredible stunt work that was being done within the bus and it was all being done on these moving buses so it was in, an amazing amount of planning having to take place in order to get that to to you know to look as seamless as it does and Dan do you want to talk a bit about the gimbals sure yeah we did um, uh, the majority of the fight scene inside the bus is uh, all shot on stage in Sydney on two different gimbals one gimbal was what we call the airbag gimbal. And so that didn't have as big a range of movement, but it could, you know, make the bending bus look like it was safe in the corner or going over a bump or just general road vibration. And that worked for a lot of the stunt action. Uh, and then for some of the moves, the bus is doing really hard turns or really large bumps or tipping over um, to, to allow the stunts to sort of, um, you know, climb up the side of the bus and flip over the roof and things like that. So some of the, Bigger action was done on what we call the six-axis gimbal, big hydraulic gimbal. Uh, and then, yeah, the easiest shots were done, or the shots where we needed the bus to be more steady were done on the airbag gimbal. So working with stunts uh, as to, you know, what was the best gimbal for what shot, um, yeah, we swapped backwards and forwards and did a lot of rehearsals on both gimbals to work it all out. Um, and I think the rehearsal time with stunts is what made the, the, smooth, the shoot go quite smoothly for that sequence. It was an incredible amount of planning. And um, Joe and I spent a long time figuring out the route that the bus could take through San Francisco. And obviously it's somewhat uh, fanciful because the bus is careening down a hill for an awful long time, um, making San Francisco actually bigger than it really is. But we, we tried to apply logic to sort of the geography throughout and have continuity so that it all kind of sort of made sense. Sean, I definitely want to hear about that big epic ending sequence. Uh, specifically, I'd love to hear about the, the the two dragons at the end, the Dweller in Darkness, the Great Protector. What was it like bringing those creatures to life, and and how you how you made them feel different, uh, other than of course their design? Yeah, I mean, it was it was an amazing experience. It was the first time we've really brought a uh, an Eastern style dragon to the to, you know Western cinema. 
Um, and yeah, the designs that we received from, from uh, Marvel's art team were incredible. And we didn't really deviate much from those in the first place. Um, the look of them was, uh, is, is very uh, accurate to, to those initial concepts. Um, the Dweller in Darkness uh, was a little bit um, a little bit different. We we received artwork for them, but uh, we did get kind of a little bit of license to, you know, just make it as scary as possible. We we looked at a lot of real world reference for uh, for materials, so as much gross and scary stuff as we could find. Things like uh, raw meat with you know that marbling fat for for the gums. We looked at uh, obsidian stone for the teeth um and then just you know uh hides from elephants and and uh and scales and lizards for for the body work um and yeah bringing them to work was uh bringing them to life was a challenge they both had their own individual challenges the dragon uh obviously doesn't have wings so you have to make it feel like it's flying through the uh air you know uh, as if it's swimming through water so um that was a unique challenge we looked at things like sea snakes and uh iguanas swimming through the water uh, and then we had for the dwell in darkness a just an enormous amount of um, tentacles. <laughs> so the tentacles themselves proved their own uh, major challenge, just being that there's so much to animate. Like uh, it's it's a uh, just grunt grunt work. Uh, we had a few tools that allowed us to uh, simplify that. So while it's flying through the air, um, we could automate some of them. But for the most part, it was just uh, yeah, it's just a huge animation challenge. But uh, it's kind of everything that. Uh, you know, I animators dream of playing with, you know, two two giant dragons in the sky. And so I think you'd also add that I wasn't Dweller in Darkness one of the heaviest, the biggest models you've ever created at Weta? It is, yeah, 128 million polygons. So. Yeah, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> but also, I think one of the fascinating things and just sort of shows the artistry, and it's not all just done by computers, the 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 dragon itself, you hand placed the scales, right? So that the 8,000 hand placed scales on the dragon. So it really is a matter of artistry and uh, it's incredible. I think that these things don't just get done by computers. You know, it really is people behind them uh, putting it all together. Yeah. Yeah. Our, uh, our modeler had done the initial sculpt. And so he, he built this thing um, all by hand. And then, uh, you know, we, we, uh, <laughs> We gave him the challenge afterwards. Uh, we said, you know, this is how we want to rig it. We want the the scales to move and slide over each other, and uh, and so we said we kind of need these to be all individual. And so he did exactly that. Spent another few weeks just hand modeling all these individual scales onto the body. Yeah, it was a very impressive achievement. Wow, that's impressive work. Uh, well, thank you all so much for your incredible work on Shang Chi. Uh, I love the film and love your work as well. Appreciate it. Thanks Thanks so much. Much. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with the visual effects supervisor for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Christopher Townsend, the additional visual effects supervisor Joe Farrell, the Weta digital effects supervisor Sean Walker, and the special effects supervisor Dan Oliver here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Shang-Chi is up for your consideration for this year's Academy Awards for Best Visual Effects and can be currently streamed on Disney+. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. 
This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.